Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Aileen Lam, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camro. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew. I'm an autistic entrepreneur. Uh, We also decided that we would add a warning to this podcast, and instead of a trigger warning or a not safe for work warning, although it can have that sometimes too, uh, Eileen and myself are also very sarcastic, so we try to, you know, emphasize that, especially given a lot of the people we have on the podcast. We just thought that we would add this disclaimer. I don't know if we'll keep doing it. Forgot how it came up. Already got distracted. Anyway. Today, our guest is uh, Michelle. How do you say your last name again? Vinokurov. Uh Was diagnosed with autism at age two. She works full-time during the school year at Manatee County as a special education behavioral specialist. I feel like they shouldn't have special twice in the title, um, but that's not her fault. On the side, she works for Full Spectrum ABA as an RBT. She provides therapy to her clients. Plus, she works as a blogger uh, for the company and an autistic advocate. She strives to make an impact and enhance the quality of life for neurodivergent people. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. So we like to start the podcast by asking every guest uh, how they prefer to identify, whether autistic, on the spectrum, person with autism. Do you have a preference? I don't really. I'm more open. (laughs) Okay. Don't care is, I think, our most common answer, although we haven't tallied it up yet. Yes, we have. Oh, we did? Do we have results? Yes, uh, I can share that with you after the episode. But yeah, number one is uh, no preference. So By a lot, I'm assuming, right? By quite a lot, yeah. And then it's like uh, autistic and uh, with autism uh about the same and then some on the someone on the spectrum wasn't higher than like asperger's really no, we oh. only got two on the spectrum i i thought we had more too but yeah well yeah i think a lot of people who don't care if they cared said that that must be why yeah because it's like the yeah the yeah alternative. yeah so yeah so uh you were diagnosed uh, at a young age. Um, when did you learn you were autistic? And what was the, do you know anything about the process? Uh, how you were diagnosed as a child? Can you tell us uh, about that? Yeah, so so going backtrack a little bit, I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. That's where I came from. And that's where I got my autism diagnosis. So my parents noticed that I wasn't reaching developmental milestones compared to my older sister, Samantha. So they were, they were really concerned. Like one one of the things was that, and I had a lot of the classic symptoms of autism when more of like the challenges at a very young age, like such as not responding to anybody who called my name. Like that was the first sign that they knew that like they, they wanted to get more support from me. So they went, we went through the process of first going to my pediatrician. They said to go to an audiologist and 
because the pediatrician thought that I was deaf. So going to the neurologist and they said that I had perfect hearing. So that pretty much didn't do anything. So my parents went back to the pediatrician and they said that this is definitely uh, something much more. You got to go to a neurologist. So we went to, this was around the way I was about two years old. I went, my family took me to a neurologist and stuff. We had went through the whole autism evaluation and everything. And that's where I found out about my autism diagnosis was through a whole evaluation. It was, it occurred in downstate hospital in Brooklyn, New York. And pretty much a lot of it had to do with like interviews and direct observations of me, like such as like I couldn't verbally communicate and lack of eye contact, stimming, you name it. So that's pretty much where that whole process began. And that's how I got my diagnosis at a very young age. And I did not know like, like, Self-awareness wise, I didn't know that I was autistic till way later in life. I found out from my parents in sixth grade, even though I was diagnosed early on, but I wasn't exposed really till I was in sixth grade because I was starting to learn that I think differently. I was noticing that like I had some issues with like when it came to making friends and everything. And it, that's where I, I'll, that was pretty much where, like, I noticed that I was, that I did stand out in the way. And that's how I found out more so. And so, uh, also, did you find out on your own or did you ask your parents, why am I not making friends or why do I go to this different classroom for half the day or just, you know, or, or something? Or did you just figure it out completely independent on your own? Um, it kind of was more so of my parents. Like we were, so what happened was that what I I was telling my parents about how like there was a lot that I was thinking differently of than most people. Like I've noticed that. And so like one day we went to my family friend's house and we were watching the Dr. Temple Grandin's uh, documentary. That's kind of where they like, in the way they said that I was very similar to Dr. Temple Grandin in some ways. So that's where I kind of, got pieces what? like they didn't tell me directly but like that's where I kind of do you learned do you think was that on purpose and that was how they were looking to tell you so or, yeah. or was it just completely random no I think that was the way they were trying to tell me without being direct about it okay yeah <laughs> you know that's a that's a good way to do it so we met with a psychologist <laughs> therapist to uh as for advice on how to tell our youngest who's uh, you know higher functioning and he started asking questions and that's what she said. Yeah. She said, you know, a great way to do it is like kind of like drop hints and see if like they can relate and you know try and find a way to uh you know for the conversation to come up in a way that's uh organic and natural. So yeah, I think that's uh they did good with you. <laughs> yeah, I it definitely was for me when I found out like it it actually helped me in regards to now I, it like helped with part of my self-awareness. And and now there are more TV shows that are things or movies that you might be able to relate to rather than just something brain man or something about, you know? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. So, 
Yeah, yeah that, that's that's good. When did you come out as being autistic, you know, publicly and why? So the funny thing is that it actually like public wise, it wasn't until I was 16. I so pretty much I my dad was sharing with me a story from someone that wrote on for Autism Speaks. And that's where, like, my dad was kind of encouraging me, like, how I should share, finally share my story out for a lot of people. Because now that, like, how much that I've grown in life and everything, and, like, just from my own experiences, that it gives more people insight as to, you know. So I, at the age of 16, I actually did write out a story for Autism Speaks. And... I got it at, at that time. This was, I was in my sophomore year of high school. So that's when I had my story shared online. And that's where I shared it more publicly to people. And I, it pretty much after that, like my life changed a lot ever since. Can you tell us uh, about your ABA experience? Did you receive uh, ABA as a child? And um how come uh, you decided to get in the field of uh, of ABA? So I, ABA therapy was one of the therapies I received at a young age. I had a mix of other earlier intervention services, thanks to my parents. Like they, they wanted to get the supports for me that I needed early on in life. So I, I had ABA therapy, speech therapy, physical occupation, we name it. I had a mix of everything and it was for at first, like I had it so intense, like people would never even like hear of it. I had it for seven days a week. No one hears about that nowadays, no one. So but if you get lucky for anybody that gets that much, but I'm like, it was, it was a lot, but it helped for me. And especially with ABA therapy, what really pushed me to pursue that in the field today was because of my professional experiences as as a paraprofessional before before I moved up and I'll explain all that but uh when I was working as a paraprofessional right right after I graduated from my community college that I went to up in New Jersey that I I was working in a autism self-contained classroom and they actually implemented ABA therapy in a public school setting. And I thought that was amazing because, you know, there it's all about, it's really important to be teaching like communication skills, social skills, like all these things that like, it's that we often forget to focus about in schools other than just academics. So I, it just, it really just drove me to go back to college, which I did that. I went back to college online went to university. I uh, graduated through Purdue University Global as of last year. So I, so ever since then, like I, this is what I've gone into now. And even with being in Florida now, my family and I just moved a couple of years ago to Florida and I really been pushing more into the ABA field. So that's why I work with full spectrum ABA on the side. So that way I'm providing therapy for clients. Do you have any thoughts on a self-contained classroom uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, integrated classroom? Like when 
the child is gonna receive like some help and guidance, uh, but is in a classroom with you know other uh, neurotypical uh, kids. You could tell Eileen was like looking. I I think I even saw an eye roll if I'm <laughs> capable of that, right? How That's do I how say that? The right oh, yeah. How do I? I don't want to say neurotypical, but God damn it, I think I have to. It's <laughs> <That laughs> so <sounds> good. <laughs> Oh man, I so <laughs> I am I am a big believer with inclusion, absolutely. And the way that the idea of inclusion is described, though, it's different for everybody. That's what I think that what I've noticed is that there are. Um, it's just at the end of the day, it comes to what's best interest for for the student at the end of the day like there are things that like uh that they can there's a lot of benefits when it comes to a more inclusive classroom absolutely like being with having the mixed population and everything so of course there's a lot of benefits like being able to pretty much like work together on on certain abilities and everything that and and also increasing with strengths but also we have to remember that at the end of the day like you know, sometimes like, and I'll even say this for myself, I, I was in a specialized school back in New Jersey before I even was mainstreaming in the public school setting. So it just, it's really different for everybody. And it depends on like, what uh, depends on everybody's like skill levels, abilities, you know, so that's, that's where I would go with that what works for one person might not work for another and everything is individualized. So yes. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's the answer to, you know, a lot of things just like, you know, one of my kiddos is in a regular classroom and the other is in a self-contained classroom because they have different needs. So I think I completely agree with you. Can you tell us a bit, um, I, I know you said that you were going to talk about it later, so I guess here's a chance, but I promise we were actually going to ask about it anyway, uh, about your experience with you know, special education. Uh, you mentioned starting um, as a paraprofessional, and now it looks like you're doing other things. Um, so, so many parents also just have trouble getting for and, and advocating for the right services. They don't know what questions to ask or even what they feel is right when they're getting, Eileen, you can speak to this, right? You know, just like when you're getting like a good experience or a bad experience or when to know what to ask for, what advice and resources can you give parents other than not to send their kids to school in Florida? So for, I would say, it's always important for families to advocate for their child's needs, whatever it be like for any kind of therapy, let's say with speech therapy, like if your child needs it for communication, definitely go for it. Like, I, you know, there, I, I, even I've noticed like alone from my experiences with the school district, how many parents were like so afraid to ask for that kind of things. But it's so important too, because at the end of the day, like, Parents are the ones who know the child best. Yes, there are teachers and with everybody in the schools that everybody has a contribution. Everybody's a team. I know there's a lot of fears that parents think of. And I, even my own parents do that. They've gone through fears of that, like trying to advocate in the schools. But 
What's important for parents is always to also have documentation. My parents did this growing up for me when I, in my own IEP meetings that like they would write down every single thing because if something like that the school goes against them about, they have it for their own records. And, you know, so it's important to have that and also getting as much information as you can and also like it's really is important to find out like if the school has like speech therapy services or if you're allowed to bring in someone from outside into the schools which I've seen it happen here as a matter of fact that there are people that are bringing outside like ABA therapists into the school setting so you know you just have to you really have to keep fighting because this is for your for parents like this is for your child you know so that's I, for me, it's always important for parents to keep fighting. And, you know, when, because there are a lot of services out there, there are a lot of resources, just, you know, don't be afraid to ask, have it all written down. And that's where I would go with that. Okay. So there are a lot of misconceptions about ABA therapy. I think one that really bothers me is that ABA therapy only cares about spoken language because ABA taught my child to use an AAC device. So it's like the opposite. And before that, they even tried uh, PECS, which has become controversial, uh, sign language, go talk. Like it was not just focus on language, never has been. So I've never really understood where that um uh, misconception came from so what are some of the biggest misconceptions about ABA uh, you can tell us about yeah so there I've heard of everything and I've been told this online too so <laughs> I and that especially ever since like I came out more about with my work with full spectrum ABA so pretty much that yeah a lot of what people think about is that in terms of with ABA, like thinking that it's teaching like pretty much like robotic language or pretty much does just focus all about with just communication, but it's not just about that. There's with ABA therapy, we focus on like the overall individual. We're focusing on like not just communication. There's also social, there's also daily living, there's also play. We often forget that there is that we do focus on play too. For example, like I got, I have someone that I've been working with. I've been working on with playing board games with them. And that incorporates like so many naturalistic approaches such as like turn-taking and also with like pushing on with communication and engaging in social skills. So there's a lot of mix of approaches being used by just some of the common things that are in like a home or a school environment. And then What's really cool is that it's it is generalized. Like whatever you're taking, let's say in the home setting, that it's brought out into the community, into schools. So I think that a lot of also what I I can understand that where a lot of people are coming from because of how much that the that the fields of that the field has evolved, that it's not, you know it's not crystal clear perfect and i and i'll be honest it's not you know i think about this for every kind of therapy that it's not going to be 100% perfect it's again it comes to where 
the overall individual like what like what fits best for them what's the best interest for them you know so like if I could say for one friend that that it would be good for them and another one it might not you know so again it just comes to the best interests of the individual and again with with ABA therapy that it's it really has evolved over time like there are more autistic people out there that not just myself that are in the field like I have even in my work like we have a whole team and we everybody's in like not just providers but everybody just in different departments within the company so it's it's really cool just to even see that uh that inclusion aspect too in in other departments so I just you know I it just I know it, it is mind-boggling to still like people get that it gets stuck at like that one part that one misconception and everything but at the same time you have to look at the whole picture <laughs> yeah totally and you know i i think once again it, com- it comes back to the fact that not everything is for everybody and you know um aba what i love about aba is that it's uh tailored to the child's needs uh, so it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach. And yeah, maybe for some kids, it's not the right uh, therapy. But to just like cancel the entire therapy, is um, it's it's not <laughs> realistic. It's It's helped so many people. So I don't know why we can just say what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's great for some people. It doesn't work for others, you know? And yeah, it helps me out. It, it helped me out big time along with other therapies. So like I I had the mix of everything. So like it just you know at the, at the end of the day it's also depends on like the type of therapist that's providing the services and that's where a lot of the misconceptions come as well is because of the like uh, what I've noticed too that why a lot of companies out there is about quantity when really it should be quality like the quality of the services that are provided and that's how you make such a big difference you know and and also the way of approaching at an individual level you know like the individual take the lead and i mean that that's an issue with medical treatment especially here in america regardless anyway but i'm gonna push back on you so I do agree that in general, like the parents know their child best, but, you know, I think from a lot of instances, they may not know, you know, autism best. So it would, Mm -hmm. to me, it would seem like a perfectly natural, just, you know, initial reaction for a parent. Like, when will they speak? How can they speak? I want them to make eye contact. And I think it's up to the professionals like you to educate the parents. So are there times you've had to, you know, push back and educate and, or just, you know, inform, you know, why certain, you know, expectations, you know, maybe should be changed a little bit? So that's a really good question. I've actually, um, I know in general here in Florida, like when I was from New Jersey, a lot more, I've noticed that the education wise, it's very different. So like, down in Florida, like I education like sucks. So, yeah, yeah. So I sorry, Florida. <laughs> I know, I know. I 
that's how I feel too. And that's why like, I feel like that's, it's pushing me to do this though, because of the fact that like, I want to be able to help like drive that difference of like having that, that they go from even just even the awareness part to where advocacy happens, you know, like having people understand that, like that with autism is just a wide range of abilities and challenges. And, you know, like the way that the curriculum's taught, like it doesn't fit to everybody. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, so I've had to, I've had plenty of talks with like, especially with this, my full-time work with the school district I work as a behavior specialist. And I've had to talk to a lot of teachers, staff, like about like how that a one thing could work for like most of the class but it might not work for this child like you have to like be very tailored like to differentiate like what works for this student and you know and like let's say like for a kid that needs to know like where they're on where like for transitioning to places for example I'll tell you that that having a student like knowing where they are where they're at online so that they that way they're not going to get all like anxious and everything so things like that those little things like you have to pick up on that because it makes such a big difference for for the student to thrive and everything so you know it's just I've yeah I've had my battles about that (laughs) so I mean which is great and it's great that you're there to be able to do that um have you you know my my it sounds like for the most part, people are pretty receptive, but you also said battles. So I, I'm just curious, um, you know, uh, I, yeah, basically, I, I mean, do, do you want to tell us a battle? I'll, I'll actually, a one good example, I will say, and I'm not, I'm not going to name any schools, nothing, because I cannot do that. But, but we know they're in Florida. Yes. So... <laughs> I had one school and this was the, actually the first day that I started to travel on my own to the schools. The very first school I go to and like there was one teacher that it was during specials and I'll never forget this in Mimi Furious Inside. I was literally about to like lash out, like lash out at them, but I held it together. Pretty much that they were not wanting this child to be part of in their classroom during that time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What like, was their reason? Pretty much that the reason was being that they that they can't handle the kid. That was the reason. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what does the kid do that was like, difficult for them? They said that they can't manage their behaviors and everything. I'm like, I'm like, that's part of teaching though is you want to teach them like teach them the basic even the basic like school readiness because like uh, I was like oh my god they have to provide the kid with whatever it is that he needs to be successful I mean yeah not only that like that it was it felt like to me like denying access to their education yeah that's what was mind-blowing to me I was like I'm like what the 
But did you did you win? Do you know what happened oh, later? Yes, did you I, revisit the school I, later? You know? Yeah, I I actually I went, I told the teacher, I said that we're gonna have this child be in the classroom because they can't deny access. So I we we did work with the student in the classroom and stuff and they actually, the student handled being in the classroom for most of the period. And that was amazing, you know? So it, like, at first, like, the teacher just couldn't do it themselves. Like, they just kept removing the student out, which that's another issue of it's, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing that I've been working on with that is trying to help decrease with all the removals because it just, oh, Texas it's not much better than Florida to be honest um I think uh, a lot of states and and again you know it's it's hard because we say that but it's also dependent on the school it's dependent on the teacher on the district yes. you know it's dependent on so many things so we, we can't just like lump everybody in the uh, same like look you're you're in Florida and it seems like you're doing great so I don't want to <laughs> you know say it's Florida's fault but uh no know. no I you know it's just that there's there are things that I've noticed that like just they just it just needs catching up on. That's how I think about it. Like to catch up with like other places, you know. Once everybody is is caught up on the same page, then you know I think it leads to leads to more advocacy. Oh yeah. So do you think advocacy is just misdirected, and that instead of fighting each other, we should all be educating all the teachers in Florida because we're pretty much all on the same page about that? That's pretty much where I'm I'm heading to about that. Yeah, pretty much where like that's pretty much where I'm heading to about that. I am I like I joined I actually just became a behavior specialist earlier this year. It I got I got the job literally a month after graduation. So it was a big deal for me and like being and being the first on my team that's autistic so that's I just I really hope to just continue to make an impact with the schools and everything I feel like we keep going back and forth between uh, ABA and the school because you have these two great experiences um, but uh, as uh, being autistic helped you in uh, in any way for um, in uh, your job as a RBT. Um, was there a moment when it was uh, helpful? Were you noticed something and you were able to like uh, intervene and relate to your clients in ABA? Yes. Yeah, so I've had moments. A lot of times I was able to redirect through special interests. Like I had, I had with my one of my clients like I was able to redirect them through their interests of Tom and Jerry because they love Tom and Jerry so I um yeah when when things were getting off task like I was redirecting them through through the use of Tom and Jerry and that's how I got them backing on track with doing what we were doing so it just you know it just it's different for everybody of how redirection is used so like for me, it worked in that case of using their special interests. So it, it depends on every on individual cases. Tom and Jerry, and Jerry feel so uh, <laughs> in touch to me. I mean, I, I love it, but it's like it reminds me of my childhood. It's uh, it's funny that I know. those 
I don't know how that kiddo came across Tom and Jerry, probably parents, because you know it's not like on Netflix or YouTube or, or maybe it is. People do still do cable island. Like there are some people. Oh, <laughs> uh, that makes yeah, because this kid's the youngest, so they got older siblings. So <laughs> now. We understand that you're not as famous a blogger as Eileen, but you do do some blogging. And where can we find you on social media and anything that you would like to promote or talk about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I run a blog website called The World of Autism. It does go under my professional brand name on my social media accounts known as Exceptional Shell. My user tag name is at self advocate MV. And I've been running that since, I'll tell this, I've been running it since 2019 after I graduated from my community college. My English professor was the one that pushed me to do that. And so I still thank her to this day. And I, my blog website, if you go on Google, it, so you can type in the world of autism. You also could type in uh, exceptional shell and it comes up like either way. And that's now I yes I I have I have actually seen your posts and things and and that name like rung a bell and so yes now I've actually <laughs> I've read your stuff before I just didn't put it together with the you know name but yes so. yeah that's me <laughs> we're going to ask you some uh quick fire questions and by we I mean I'm going to do it so how it works is that um I ask you a question and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind okay. okay so what is your favorite food pizza a plain pepperoni cheese stuffed crust or just pizza uh stuffed crust plain yeah <laughs> pineapple eileen stop this <laughs> no i actually don't like pineapple <laughs> Oh, Who's your fine. favorite representation of uh, autism in the media? So like in a TV show, in a book, in a movie? That, it would be Dr. Temple Grandin. I did meet her in person back in 2019 when I was still living in New Jersey at the time. It was amazing. You know, that's really amazing how she like, because she's old. She came on our podcast, actually. But she's like uh, reaching all generations, you know. It's uh, it's truly amazing how many people uh, look up to her. You're, you're not uh, obviously not the first one. Uh, so I hope that when I'm old, I have uh, young people looking up to me. It's uh, heartwarming. Um, okay, well, what is who is your favorite? You're not very today? tall, so that might be a challenge. Get it? Look. Ha, yeah, ha, 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 ha. Funny. Who is your favorite actress? Ah, oh, my favorite actress. <laughs> or actor. We don't want to be. Actually, I would say more for favorite actor. That would be Freddie Hydemore. Oh, is that the good doctor? Yes. <laughs> oh, now I wish we had asked you about the... Do you like him in the good doctor? I assume you do. He... So, like... It's interesting how his twist of how he portrays with autism, because it's like, you know, not everybody's like that, and which is important to know. 
So, but he does in a way, like in some, like in a lot of ways, he does do a great job. Though I will say, <laughs> did you see uh, that controversial uh, episode where uh, I mean, I'm sure you have with the when he kept repeating, "I'm a surgeon." I'm a surgeon, like that scene. Um, what what did you think of it? Um, yeah, I've had I had like a mixed feelings. I had a mix going on, like of just <laughs> like where I repeating it in regards to how echolalia is, like I like for me growing up, like I, I did have echolalia at one point. This was after like I, while I was learning to verbally communicate, which by the way, I didn't say my first word until I was six years old. And I didn't ver verbally communicate in sentences until I was 10. And so like part of me developing speech was with echolalia. And I, that scene, you know, I was like, I kind of mixed about it, like, the way that it was approached, like, it either, you know, like, like, the way that it was approached of, like, how can I put it? Um, it's hard for me to put it right now. Dramatized? But yeah, I would say that. I definitely would say that. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You know, I never thought about that scene from the Ecolalia point of view. To me, it was more about like the, the meltdown. And that's what was Same. relatable to me. It was like, you know, I'm always like, you know, I hold myself pretty well. I'm able to, you know, have a job and all of that. But I can get very uh, reactive in a way. And like, I feel like if I'm put in a situation, like the situation he was put in, not that mm -hmm. I'm a surgeon, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I would have the same reaction. You know, it's happened to me at school. It's happened to me like at work. Mm -hmm. And I can relate to that, you know, like just because 99% of the time I have like myself together and all of that doesn't mean I can't have a, a meltdown like that where like, you know, it's not the right thing to do, but you're so emotionally, you know, that you can't mask, you can't keep it together. And yeah I've had that's where I can relate to yeah. yeah and that's where like yeah in that sense yes that's where I can relate to about that and I've I've had that those moments myself actually ever since like in my in my position and everything going from a paraprofessional to being a behavior specialist like it's a big jump so like having the moments like that like I've had moments like that I did and you know like I I can't, for me, like, I can't always mask it. Like, that's just, that's just, like, for me, like, for me in general, like, when it comes to masking, it's hard for me to do that. Yeah. I, I think a lot of autistic people, it's funny that, you know, a lot of autistic people didn't relate or so that was offensive because I feel like that's so relatable, you know? So, I mean, you can argue the acting if you want, but the scene itself is... I mean, it was yeah. so on point, especially for someone who's high functioning. If you don't see, I'm doing quotes because I'm using a functioning label. Um, so yeah, I really, 
I really like that that scene. Not uh, that anybody asked, but now you know. Uh, so last question: What's your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. That's a calming color to me. <laughs> it's the color of autism speaks. Uh, well, actually, no. Now we have the spectrum color. <laughs> it's a gradient from blue to pink. I shouldn't have said that. Okay. Uh, well, it was so great having you, uh, Michelle, and uh, I'm uh, I'm glad that you were able to uh, come on, answer our questions, speak about ABA, and share your tips about uh, you know the school system and all of that. So thank. Eileen, I thought you said ensure your tips. <laughs> No. Okay, no. Is my accent that bad? <laughs> I'm just in rare form today. I don't know I'm what's wrong have with to me. Sweet again. I'll make sure you didn't sound like that. Thanks, Andrew. Anyway, thank you again. And uh, yeah. Have a thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.